I understand also a freeman of this city told me uh, some time ago, but Alan is so highly respected by so many people for just a great Bible ministry over many years, as well as leading Hope Church there in Newtown, Wales. And um, it's a real joy that Alan was being able to say that he could come today. I know that we're going to be blessed, we're going to be ministered to, so why don't we give him a great welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you today, and I bring to you the greetings from the Welsh tribe of Assemblies of God. When I left Wales this morning at half past seven, it was sunny, gorgeous, beautiful sunshine. Then when I got to the Midlands, I don't know. It's a great, great privilege for me to share something with you today. I want to read from the Bible from Acts chapter 10, verse 37. Just three verses, Acts 10, 37. It says, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Just lost myself. Jerusalem. They killed him. By hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. My task this morning is to speak to you on reaching the world by committing. This world in which we live is an open stage for those who want to make a difference. And those who commit to entering that stage will in some way change the world. You know, the majority of people will never leave their theatre seats. They'll just accept whatever and whoever gets on the stage. Sometimes people will laugh at what happens on the world stage. Sometimes people will cry. Sometimes people will cheer. Sometimes people will boo. But one thing is sure, world changers are in the minority. I want to remind you today that our world will change with us or without it, but it will change. What happened on 9-11 changed the world forever. And what happened on 9-11 didn't just happen. It was caused. It was produced. It was produced by people who got out of their seats and stood on the world stage theater. And they presented to us and the rest of the world their own evil agenda. It's happening in many places this week in Tunisia. ISIS in Syria, Iraq, Muslims in the UK that have an agenda because they're not simply satisfied to sit in British theatre seats and watch what happens in the world. They intend to step up on the stage to present their vision for the rest of us. And if the church remains seated, we will find ourselves living in a country that we never wanted to live in. When we read the Bible, it's very clear that God has called the church to change the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. The world in which we live today is waiting for the church to get up out of their seats. And if the church doesn't, other people will. And I want to remind you this morning that only the church has a divine mandate to change the world. 
I want to say four things before I get into the text and expound the text. I want to say four things to you about world changes. The first thing I want you to, or I want to remind you of today is this. That world changes are made and not born. All the great heroes, all the great people we think of as legends of the faith were not born that way. If we think of Wilberforce, if we think of Shaftesbury, if we think of Martin Luther King, if we think in the Bible of Gideon or Esther or, you know, David was not born a giant slayer. We think of Shammah, we think of others. You know, the world had never heard of Rosa Parks, a modest black woman, until December the 5th. 1955, when she decided it, wasn't, it was the time to stop sitting in the stalls and to sit up higher. And so she went and sat in a seat on a bus that the world didn't think she was entitled to. But I want to remind you that Rosa Parks was not born with the Congressional Gold Medal, the highest award from the U.S. government. She wasn't born with that medal around her neck. She was born ordinary, but she became a legend. She wasn't born a legend. She became a legend because the heroes and the world changers are made and not born. Many of us just like that. Mother Teresa was not born Mother Teresa. She was born Agnes of Albania. She too left her seat in the stalls to change the world. William Booth was not born a legend. When he was 13 years of age and an apprentice pawnbroker, nobody thought he was great or a legend. D.L. Moody came from a poor family, worked in his uncle's shoe shop, and the first time he applied to be a church member, he was rejected. These people, these world changers, were not born world changers, but they became world changers. They were made, they made themselves world changes. You know, the same is even true of Jesus. Jesus didn't bring redemption into the world just by being born Emmanuel. He became a world changer by what he did with his life. Hebrews 2.17 says some powerful words. He had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become that he was made, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. And in order to commit to changing the world, we must understand this, that you don't have to be great to get on the stage. But it's by your achievement on the stage that you become great and become a legend. The second thing I want to say about world changers is this. World changers are today people, not yesterday people. We can't change a world that no longer exists. That might sound very simple. But many churches are trying to change a world that has gone. I'm in Wales. I've been in Wales 30 years. This is true, especially in Wales. In Wales, there is the kind of world that once was that people still want to live in, that still want to preach in, that still want to worship in, that still want to evangelize in. The world that Evan Roberts preached in during the Welsh revival 
was a world where 75% of the population of Wales had come through Sunday school. Now it's less than 3% that come through Sunday school. The world of Evan Roberts has gone. There's a new world there today. We must be contemporary in our presentation. Many evangelicals are still fighting the wars of the Reformation. Preaching about Rome being the great harlot. Now I want to tell you something today. I thank God for the Reformation. I thank God for the Reformers. But during the last 500 years, the world has changed. Even for Assemblies of God, 90 years old. But that world that AOG started in has also changed. Do you know that AA body, Alexander Body, one of those first starters in the Pentecostal movement, he insisted that every Pentecostal meeting began with a national anthem. The world has changed. Do you know something? Do you know something? This is the truth. It's easier to fight yesterday's battles than to meet the issues of today. We are not the light and salt of yesterday's world, but of today's world. And when Christians get up on that world stage, it's vital that the world see that we are relevant, that we understand, that we care, and that we have the words of eternal life. Let me just warn you, if you want to get up on the world stage today as Christians and as churches, often you'll find there's Christians in the audience that will boo you. You know, Andy Stanley from Atlanta Church uh, in Georgia, North Point Church, great church, 25,000 plus. He was asked by Michelle Obama if she could use his church as a venue for a speech addressing the problems of childhood obesity in the States. He thought it was a good idea, so he let her use their church facility for that program. He says that people left the church simply because he let the president's wife use it to address an issue, and people accused him of being political and not spiritual. You know, we've got to understand Something about the fact that if we want to get up on the stage in our world, not everybody will be happy or agree with us. In his book, Deep and Wide, which is a fantastic book about how to reach unchurched people with today's church. He writes about the fact that they play music in their meetings on a Sunday before it starts and it's secular music. He says Beatles music goes down really well before the meetings. Do you know why he does that? Because 40% of their people every Sunday are unchurched people. And it's because of what they do and how they do it. They have have three Sundays a month with baptismal services of people getting saved. You know, we had our Mother's Day service last week. You know something? I've been in ministry now 45 years. And I do things differently now. Do you know why? Because when I went in 1970 into the ministry, the world has changed. In our Mother's Day service last week, I didn't do a single thing. Before, I used to take the whole lot, lead it, preach it, do it all. Last week, we had massive great balloons going across our congregation. And when the music stopped, somebody pierced the balloon. Stuff all sprayed out. and People got prizes. I held my head down. That's not the way I do church. But let me tell you, the 400 plus people that went home last Sunday from that, 100 more than normal 
they became evangelists on the Monday around our town, talking about the fact they had a good experience in a church on Sunday morning. Today's world changes. Let's understand that the world has changed. And let me, listen to me. We have got to learn how to carry a stretcher that can bring people to the feet of Jesus and can also carry homosexuals to the feet of Jesus. Thirdly, world changers are people who opt in and not out. We'll never change the world by withdrawing from it. Sitting in the, the theater seats of our world, simply praying is not going to do it. Simply grieving about what happens on the world stage is not going to cut it. Getting on the stage and blasting out with a megaphone is not going to do it either. We have people in our town, they're called exclusive brethren. And they stand on a street corner in a line with their backs against the wall. And then they'll stand there and nothing happens. And one by one, they'll just walk up with a little black New Testament and they'll preach at the people who are going by. And yet that same group of people have opted out of everything. They take their children out of, church, out of school dinners. They take this, their children out of any RV lessons. They, take the, they are so totally out of everything. And then people pass them by. I learned many years ago, you can preach against sodomy. And in a Pentecostal congregation, you can get amens as we blast the Bible and we preach against homosexual activity. You can do all that and get amens and not simply change one homosexual life. You can preach against abortion and how bad that social evil is. And yes, it is a bad social evil. But you can get amens by standing with a megaphone and blasting out, blasting out, blasting out and not save one fetus. We can preach against idolatry and get every amen in the church. We can preach against adultery and get every amen in the church. And yet not save one marriage or bring one idolater to the cross. Let me just say this to you. Having sound theology will not change the world. And fourthly, world changes are positive and not negative. Any, anyone with a slight little brain in their head can see how bad things are. But who can see how good things can become? We've got to be those kind of people. We can all read newspaper headlines, but who's going to write some different ones? Christians, our churches, should be agents of hope. You know, I was born just after the Second World War. And the songs in the church I grew up, I was raised in an AOG church. And the songs in our churches I grew up, I can remember them, most of them were second coming songs. There's going to be a meeting in the air in the sweet, sweet by and by. One golden daybreak, Jesus will come. It was just, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. We never had any social community stuff. We never had any outreach. We had a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. And a youth for people like me and people like John who were the baddies in the church. 
You know, it's a funny thing. They had hope for the church. With the songs, they declared their hope for the future. But there wasn't much going on for the people who are on the way to hell. I want to remind you today, our salvation is not the only thing that God cares about. We need a revelation on this. Lester Sumrall said these words. One of the disturbing things about Christianity is that very few Christians ever advance beyond their first revelation. You see, our first revelation is, thou art the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross for my sins. And we get that revelation, but then we don't get further revelation. Like this, Ephesians 2.10, that we were created in Christ Jesus to do Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We need this revelation that Jesus said, what we do when we do good, the world will connect that with our Heavenly Father. Salvation doesn't make us better than anybody else. Salvation just positions us and equips us to make the world a better place for everybody else. So that's my introduction, four things. Now back to the text. I want to expand this text. I want to to show you how Jesus committed himself to changing his world. Number one, he ignored stereotypical expectations. It says, Jesus of Nazareth. John 1.46, the question was asked by Nathaniel. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? The town that Jesus was born in had no status. The town he grew up in had a stigma, Nazareth. Jesus lived his life with taunts about his parentage, his legitimacy. And this is where I want to really encourage you today. About why we need to commit ourselves to reaching our world. I want to... I want to Really get this over to you, that world changers build their own platforms. They don't wait till somebody else builds a platform for them. The son of an African village chief, Nelson Mandela, built his own platform, became a world leader. Born in a Kentucky log cabin and self-educated Abraham Lincoln, Built a platform to become president. The daughter of a Grantham grocer, Margaret Thatcher, built a platform for herself that nobody else would have ever built to become prime minister. You know, history shows that world changers have to defy stereotypical expectations. World changers are people that refuse to be boxed in by other people's opinions, by their, their race, their colour, their gender, even their physical capacities. Stephen Hawking built a stage in a wheelchair. Helen Keller built a stage without hearing or eyes. Beethoven built a stage without sound hearing. You see, world changers are people that 
defy the stereotypes about what others think they are, what others think they should be, what others think they could be or could do. And they thrust themselves on the world stage with self-belief in their own dreams and they don't wait for a vote of confidence from other people. In our own town, our town is a town of just over 10,000 people. New town in the heart of Wales. In 1771, there was a, a young lad born into our town when the, it was just a village of a thousand people. A guy called Robert Owen. He was a sixth child of an ironmonger. At the age of 10, he read a book every day simply to discover the secrets of great men. And that Robert Owen became the founder of the world-renowned cooperative movement. And that's Newtown, where I come from, where I've come from this morning. Our greatest kind of claim to fame, that Robert Owen was a great social reformer. Came from a village of a thousand people in mid-Wales. We are in a a kind of a county of 2,000 square miles with about four sets of traffic lights. And that's, that's how it is in our world. In fact, there's newspaper this week reported great big news that Kentucky Fried Chicken was going to open in our town. About 15 years ago, McDonald's opened it. It was front page news that McDonald's had opened in our town. It's amazing. But this is the point. When you look for greatness, don't look for other greats because they are only the greats because of what they did. They didn't do what they did because they were great. Look within yourself. All great churches begin with ordinary people, unknown leaders. Brian Houston, Hillsong renowned, was once pastoring 45 people. And nobody heard of Hillsong or Brian Houston. When I first went to ministry in Manchester, they used to have at a place called Bagley, tiny little AOG church, Bagley, on a, in, near, in Withenshaw, very kind of funny area. And a, a pastor there was called Pop Jones, an old guy, and they used to have to try and keep the people sanctified. They used to have Christmas conventions. So all over, they had all the meetings over Christmas Eve, Boxing Day, three meetings on Christmas Day so that people would be kept holy. And in those days, do you know who one of the preachers was at one of their Christmas conventions in this small, tiny little building with 30 people? Reinhard Bonnke used to preach at the Christmas convention at Bagley before he was ever known, before he ever had a sea fan, before that was, you see, I just want to encourage you, when you get on the world stage, you may get up as a nobody, but it doesn't mean to say you can't change the world. Bill Hybels, Willow Creek, incredible ministry today, started by a 22-year-old Bible college dropout student who had to go door to door selling tomatoes to raise the money to pay the rent on the local theatre. The text here does not say Jesus of Jerusalem went around doing good, but Jesus of Nazareth. Listen to me. If people stereotype you, if people stereotype your church, prove them wrong. 
proven wrong. If people say, can any good thing come from a woman? Proven wrong. If anyone says, can anything good come from that old man? Proven wrong. If anyone says, can anyone come from a young person? Proven wrong. If the shoe fits, don't wear it. Don't let race stereotype you. You know, the second largest AOG church in Wales is in a place called Abergavenny. Abergavenny is a Welsh town 60 miles south of us. It's really Welsh. It's very, very white. Do you know who the pastor is? An Indian. An Indian. Chris and Lara Vaz, who left India some years ago simply because God called them and they arrived in London with nothing but the fact that God had called them. Spent some time at Wembley and then God called him to Wales, to a white town called Abergavenny. You think, can anything good come out of India for Abergavenny? The place is throbbing and thriving. Don't wait for the expectations of others to make you great. Don't wait for an invitation from others to get you on the stage. Look inside yourself. And you may think, all that's against me. That's against me. That's against me. Nazareth was against Jesus. But he didn't let it play a part in his life. Secondly, according to our text, Jesus received the Father's anointing. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. There are people jumping up and down on the world stage today that are energized by a different power. There are people leaving the seats of our world and thinking, I don't want this world, I want a different world. And they're getting and they're committing themselves to a world change and they're getting on the theater stage of our world. Energized by demonic power. And as John said earlier, and it's so very, very true. We must not fool ourselves. What God has called us to do. To change our world. We can only do by the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus, the Son of God, could only do what he did under the anointing, is it any wonder that we have to also have that same anointing? We will never change our world if all we have is a huge, big ego. We will never change our world if all we have is kind of charismatic hype and charismatic personalities. We will never change our world with a, shoe, with a, with a, with a, a few loud shabadabadoos. The text says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And you know something? Sometimes that's all we'll have. Sometimes we'll get stirred and we'll feel we're in a time of destiny in a moment where God has called us to. And we'll get on that stage and we'll look at ourselves and think, what have I got? Well, if we've got this, we're going to be okay. 
If you've got the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit, we've got enough. Because when you've got the anointing, other stuff comes with it. If you carry the anointing, then boldness comes. If you carry the anointing, vision comes. If you carry the anointing, faith comes. If you carry the anointing, energy comes. If you have the anointing, passion comes. A.W. Tozer said this, God is looking for those through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity, he says, that we settle only for those things we can do ourselves. Let me remind you this morning that the church has something the world cannot have and will not have. And that's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it's not how we feel. It's not whether I feel today I have an anointing. It's the fact that I have an anointing. And the Bible says I have an anointing that remains. So on a Monday morning, if I've had a bad day on a Sunday, I've still got the anointing. Because the anointing remains. It's not to do with how, how much I like the songs. It's got nothing to do with how much I like the building. It's to do with the fact that the Holy Ghost is upon us. He has called us to reach our world and to change it by committing our lives to the Christ of Calvary. The third thing I want you to see is this. Is that Jesus focused on opportunities. He went about doing good. And healing all who were under the power of the devil. The message version puts it like this. He went through the country helping people and healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. There's a huge difference between going about and going about doing. Too many Christians just go about. Too many churches just go about. They just keep doing the same old program. Just keep going about, going about, going about. We have to go about doing. And John touched on this this morning, which is very true. Sometimes we kind of have this kind of little bit of a, you know, paradox. Is it more important to be what I am? Or is it more important to do what I can do? And the, the two things go together. You see... If you are what you should be, you will do what you should do. And you can't be like Christ and not do. And if you don't do, then you're not like Christ. And Jesus didn't simply save the world because of who he was. But because of who he was, he did what he did. And he did what he did because of who he was. And Jesus took the initiative. He says, he went about. Doing good. We don't have to look far today to find people that are beaten down by the devil. And the healing that people need is not always just by having demons cast out of them. In fact, the text mentions nothing about demons being cast out. People can find healing in goodness. People can find healing through kindness. People can find healing through being encouraged. People can find healing by being loved. People can find healing by someone having a conversation with them. 
People can find healing through having a hot meal. People can find healing by having a, a room or a job. The world is a hurting place. And it didn't just say that Jesus went about delivering people. He went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. One day William Booth said to his oldest son, Bramwell Booth, he said, did you know that men sleep out all night on London Bridge? And Bramwell Booth said, yes, you should have done something about it. So Booth said to his son, you go and do something. And Bramwell Booth says, what? A shelter will cost money. And Booth said to him, that's your affair. Go get a warehouse and make it warm. And that was the beginning of the Salvation Army shelters. A conversation where someone saw something that needed to be done, was challenged. And of course, Booth and all those guys are heroes today. They weren't then at all. I've not found a single place in Scripture where someone went on a journey of self-discovery to find the call of God on their life. It's an amazing thing. This is what I discovered. There's three groups. First of all, some people were invited to do something. People like the disciples, Jeremiah. Some people were selected to do something, Samuel, David. But some people were presented with opportunities to do something. People like Esther and Daniel. And most of us are in the last category, which is the easiest to miss. You see, most of us think that we've got to have some big, massive, one-to-one Holy Spirit and me invitation. Or some kind of heavenly, angelic Gabriel or Michael visitation where we know we are selected. But we fail to understand that God every day is presenting us with opportunities to do something to change our Words. Don't wait for a call that you already have. The fourth thing, and this is the longest point. Jesus willingly paid the price to change his world. It says they killed him by hanging him on a tree. Once you and I and our churches get out of our comfy seats, step up on the stage with a divine burden and a divine vision. Don't expect it to be easy. All through history, you will find that world changers, people who committed themselves to making a difference in their world, they paid a big price. It cost Martin Luther King his life. It cost William Wilberforce a higher position that he could have had in politics had he not given nearly 40 years to fight slavery. It cost Mandela 27 years of jail. People like Tyndale, who got up on the world stage to give us the Bible in our own language. It cost him his life. 
people like Latimer and Ridley, who wanted to make sure that Britain had the real gospel, stood their ground and burnt back to back at the stake in Oxford in 1546. 1555, sorry. And then there was Anne Askew, aged 24, in 1546, that was tortured on the rack and burnt in London for standing for her faith in the world in which she was called to stand. Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke out against Hitler, got on the stage and stood against the anti-Semitism and was executed at 39 years of age. It's hard for us to realize that there were teenage Salvation Army girls that were kicked to death on the streets of Britain for telling people about Jesus Christ. Our local church in Newtown. Just to give you a little illustration of a price that you have to pay. We're a church, the largest AOG church in Wales. 300 people. That's all. In a town of just over 10,000 people. A professional audit, independent, independent on the voluntary work of our church last year, calculated that the value to our community and to our town was actually £300,000 value of our volunteer work in our town, to our town. It's costly to volunteer. It's costly to do stuff. It's costly to commit yourself. It's costly to change. Let me tell you something. You'd never prayer. We pray and we pray and we pray. But if we just pray, it's not enough. Our vision to provide our town with a nursing home took six years. Cost two and a half million pounds. Why? Because as a church, there was no nursing home in our town. And it's easy for us to sit in the stores and say there's no nursing home in our town. But when we got on the stage, the council told us it's not your place, it's not your job, you're only a church. What do you know about nursing? But for the last 14 years, that's still the only nursing home in our town where 40 people, fair elderly, are cared for every single day. Jesus said, as you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. We feed Jesus every day as they dribble in their chairs. We bathe them. We wash them from their excrement. The only nursing home in the town. People said, it's not your place to do it. It's easy to sit on the stores and say, it's not our place to do it. But somebody gets up on the stage and it's costly. Halfway through the building project, the builder went bust on us. When you put half a million in the congregate, into the foundations, and the builder goes bust, and the town headlines are, nursing home goes bust, people sit from their chairs and say, see, I told you, you should never have done it. But it's there today, and it's the miracle on the hill overlooking our town today. When there's a shortage of places for nursery kids, we, we opened a day nursery. Why? Who wants to open a day nursery? It's head doing. It really is head doing. But you see, in our day nursery, we have flying start kids. They are from the most poor and most vulnerable homes in our town. We employ people to look after these vulnerable kids. 
they actually, for the first time, learn about Jesus and learn to say grace for at mealtime. Our world, our town is changed because, why? Because we need to sit there and say, what a shame, there's a place, a need for, for a nursing place in our town. No, we did something about it. But it costs, it's cost. It costs when staffs screw up. It, it costs when people take you to tribunals. It costs. Today, we are one of the largest employers in our town. 105 people we employ. 105 people from a church of 300 in a town of 10,000. It would have been a lot easier. You know, I was, remember preaching at the AOG conference one year. I'm sitting in a caravan in North Wales and I'm about to go and preach. And on the TV, there comes one of my workers from our nursing home who's taking me to court. She's on the television because she's told everybody in the whole country she's going to sell a kidney, which was illegal. But it got her publicity so that she could sue me and my home. And I'm, and I'm about to leave that caravan and go and preach at the AOG conference. I'm thinking... It would have been a lot easier not to have got involved. Anyway, we won. Cost us 10,000 quid, but we won. That's just a little cost. A little cost. Last year, I had another crisis at the AOG conference. I, every time an AOG conference comes down, I dread it. 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 In between the meetings, I'm going out back and forth because one of our carers has screwed up. And so it's on national BBC television day after day. Every kind of it comes on the news. It's about my nursing home, my nurse abuse in my And it's just a crazy, 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 crazy time. And now we're in the middle of a building project. £3.2 million building project. And last week, the builder went into administration. Another one gone bust. You say, you're unlucky. <laughs> no, actually, I'm not. Do you know what? The truth is this. People don't like us being on the, on the stage. There's a battle going on. There's a battle going on. People want us to stay in our seats. They want, people want us to sit in the stalls and say, stay there, don't bother, don't bother, don't bother, don't bother, because other people want to take the stage. Well, listen, we ain't shifting. We ain't moving. Heaven is on our side. God is on our side. You see, our commitment to change our world means that we've provided people with jobs, provided fair elderly with care, poor families with nursery support, under-resourced with hampers. Four years ago, when our town was going down, 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 shops were emptying and that, we called our town to a day of prayer. It was interesting. We hired the high school. Hundreds of people turned up. We got our MP there. We got the AM there. We got the mayor and all the council there. We got the police represented there and we got them all up. They didn't know this, but they got them all up and we laid hands on them all and prayed over every single one of them. We, we prophesied blessing over our town, over our community. We spoke blessing and the favour of God over our town. It wasn't our place. People say, why do you want to lay hands on the mayor for? The mayor needed God. The councillors needed God. The politicians need God. Do you know what the police said since that day of prayer? Crime has dropped in our town. Crime has dropped in our town. We had one just, but you see, the thing is, you see, it's easy to opt out, but we have to opt in. But it's a cost, there's a cost, there's a cost. Yeah, we get flack. Of course we get flack. We are the only place in the UK where they allow street pastors to be from one church. Because no other church in our town would join us. So we trained 35 people from our, our town. And the street pastors are all from our, from our church. Every weekend. Why? Because our town changes. It's a rural farming community, but it changes when the pubs open on a Saturday night. We're there. It's costly. 
10 till 4. And they'll come in and play in our worship band on a Sunday morning. There's a cost involved if you commit yourself. I'm going to have to be really quick as I draw to a close. Two years ago, I was in Chicago at the Bill Hybels Willow Creek Leadership Summit. And I was sick. I was ill. It was the most crazy situation. I was ill. It really, it was just crazy. I was mad. I was absolutely mad. I thought, I'll come all this way and I'm ill. Crazy, crazy. So I had to, on the first day, I had to, I was just shaking. It's crazy. And I went and got my hire car and I parked it on the Willow Creek overlooking the lake. And I had a real pity party. I said to God, God, this is ridiculous. I come all this way. And there's, there's thousands of people here, and, and I'm sat in my car here, and I feel as sick as a pig. It's awful. Come on. And I'm sat there. And as I'm looking over the lake, and everybody else was in the meeting, and I was just there on my own in this car park looking over this lake. I saw these birds flying over the lake. They're just, just circling over the, over the lake. I just watched them. And all of a sudden, one of them broke from the bunch and dived straight into the lake and come up with a fish in its mouth. And then started to fly. And all the other birds started to fly after the bird with the fish in its mouth. And God spoke to me. I'd have missed, I'd have missed that picture if I'd been in the meeting. I thought, I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. I thought, wow. I thought, yeah. It's easier to catch fish that have already been caught. But somebody has got to break rank. And dive into the darkness and dive into the depth where others are afraid to go. Somebody has got to do it. And I'm thinking, I said, God, let me be one of those who will dive there and catch the fish that haven't been caught yet. If you want a tidy, easy, routine church life, just sit back and wait for God to write the end on human history. But this is what my text says about Jesus. It says, they killed him, but God raised him up. God raised him up. Listen to me. This life is a vapor. It's here for a little while. But after this vapor, there's forever. There's forever. God, we've got a future. We've got a future. So really, this life... It's worth taking the risk to commit ourselves. It really is worth it. Whatever the price, whatever the cost, it's worth it. Tony Campola said this. Some people tiptoe through life so as to arrive safely at the point of death. What a great statement that is. I mean, you're going to die anyway, so just get on with life and do something for God. You know the most dangerous people on earth are those who are not afraid to die. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to clue, but time's gone. Just let me conclude with this. A.W. Tozer, in his book called The Man, the Dwelling Place of God, tells of the obituary of a British peer in an English newspaper. This was what it said. Aged 89, he devoted his life and his wealth to the breeding of spotted mice. Well, What an epitaph. You know when we stand, when when people stand around our grave, I just hope people can say something better about us. That we used our resources and we used our life to bring the kingdom of heaven 
down to earth. Hey, God bless you. Amen.